Hi, my name is Claire Vincent, and I'm the host of House Call, an affinity strategies podcast. In episode eight, Stronger Together, I spent some time talking with Elizabeth Cologne. We had an intriguing and fast-paced conversation, and her positivity is, well positively contagious. We discussed how her personal and professional experiences inspired the creation of her company, Metaphrasis, the incredible work that Metaphrasis is doing to help non-English speaking patients obtain access to healthcare, the impressive efforts Elizabeth and the administrators and providers have undertaken at Humboldt Park Hospital in Chicago, and uh, oh, We also discussed a little bit about what she's been up to as the president of the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Women Business Owners. A bit about Elizabeth Cologne. She's the president and founder of Metaphrasis Language and Culture Solutions, LLC, an award-winning interpreting and translation services company. As a pioneer and innovator in the language services profession, her passion and dedication for providing access to language offerings and education resources has won Elizabeth and Metaphrasis countless awards. In addition to her commitment to her company, she is a dedicated professional to the economic development of the Chicago region and the community at large, including serving 11 years on the Humble Park Health Foundation Board and has taken on a new role there with Humboldt's Health Equity Committee. Hope you enjoy the Stronger Together episode of House Call. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, we are really thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Say, I am wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your company, Metaphrasis Language and Culture Solutions. Absolutely. Well, Metaphrasis Language and Culture Solutions was created in 2007 to address the health inequalities through language barriers that a lot of patients were facing when they were going to healthcare institutions to access care. Today, we are a nationwide company that provides access to interpreting services, document translation, transcription services, and voiceover talent to businesses and organizations that want to connect globally or with their clients or consumers in a language that they speak. Wow, that is fascinating. So how many languages does your company provide? It's really fascinating. So we're a local company in Chicago, and although we do, we have a national reach for Chicago alone, only for on-site interpreting, we have 40, 40 languages. However, for document translations, we have over 100. For telephonic, wow. over 180. And nationally, we have access to a skeleton pool of professional linguists that reaches about 600 people. And so we have the capacity to do some of the rare languages that people don't even know about. Wow. That is incredible. You know, um, in my day job, I I work in corporate America and um, I've worked for some very large companies and believe it or not, translating our documents into multiple language has always been a challenge. So it is fantastic to know that, that your company exists. And uh, we clearly need to get the word out more about what you offer. Thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. So where did the idea to create your company come from? It's a personal story. My parents immigrated from Puerto Rico to New York and then to Chicago. And they came with very little basic skills. And they also didn't speak any English. And I Mm. Latino culture our grandparents come with. And so my grandparents also didn't speak any English. 
And as we settled in Chicago and my my parents decided to have a family, there's six siblings. Two of them, although they were born perfectly fine, when they became of middle age, they both ended up losing their hearing. So now we have parents who don't speak English, and then we have two sisters who are from the deaf community. And for me personally, watching them grow up, especially my sisters, not having friendships and struggling in school to communicate. And then my parents, on the other hand, simple things as going to the bank to withdraw money was a challenge because of the communication barrier. And the only solution they had at the time for that was to take their other children out of school to accompany them to some of their appointments. And imagine a nine, 10 year old little Elizabeth going to an appointment with my parents and not even understanding the vocabulary herself. Right. So I would struggle with that. And over the years, I, this was just a repetitive thing. And when I graduated from high school and decided that healthcare was this place where I wanted to work and I decided to go to nursing school. And I was saying this, I was seeing the same thing every day, patients coming in through the doors, then being sent away because they didn't speak English and being asked, bring your child, bring your neighbor, bring someone that can translate for you, or they were being rescheduled, or there was, you know, this misdiagnosis going on. And I realized that there was a bigger problem, but I didn't know how to solve it at the time. And so I pondered the question, is interpreting something that we do out of the kindness of our heart, or is it actually a profession? And I did some research and realized that interpreting interpreters and translators is really a profession. And I sought out the training, and then I sought out to be a trainer because I wanted to, to train other people to become um, professional interpreters. And I wanted to solve this problem that currently over 60 million people in the United States are either limited English proficient or do not speak English at all, have access to quality care or services in a language that they can speak, but also empower them, right, to have informed decision-making through someone that can speak their language. And so that's how my company got created. I wanted to solve a problem that my family was facing every day and my community. And 15 years later, this is what we do. Wow. That is amazing. Amazing. I cannot imagine the breadth of impact that that you have had on on patients and ensuring that they are getting the care that they need and deserve. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that that story, um, Elizabeth. So I actually would like to turn to your experience in the healthcare field. Um, Can you tell us about the work that you have been and continue to do with Humboldt Park Health? Yes. Yes. So Humboldt Park Health was formerly called Norwegian American Hospital. And as I mentioned, you know, being in the family that didn't speak English, at some point in my mother's life, my parents divorced. And we went from having a beautiful home, owning a grocery store, to basically living in poverty. And we grew up on government assistance. And my mother was a mother of six children. And we were that person, that individual that was in the food pantry line, right, getting services. And one of the things I remember was 
the community, the community that embraced us and going to healthcare facilities or doctor's offices or clinics and getting care, right, so that we can remain healthy. And I always reminded myself that when I got to a point in my adulthood that I could give back, that I was going to do it in a community that mimicked the one I grew up in. And when I had the opportunity to join the Humble Park Health Foundation, I immediately jumped on it. I was on there for 11 years, the last three years as a board chair, and then it was time for me to transition out. And that's when the Health Outcome Committee was being created at the hospital. And I also was a cultural competency training many moons ago. And so I requested, you know, if I could join the, the committee and the CEO absolutely said yes. And then I joined the health equity committee. We have been active for a little over a year and we are working on social determinants of health and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I have taken on a bigger role in the DEI space. Wow. That sounds um, incredible. And, um, an interesting undertaking, I'm sure. If you don't mind, Elizabeth, could you talk a little bit about what we mean by social determinants of health? Sure. There are factors in our lives that if we don't have access to basic necessities that we need to thrive, we cannot be healthy. And Humble Park Health is located in Humble Park, and we serve marginalized and underserved communities. Majority are African-American and Latinos. And what we have found is that a lot of them lack transportation. So if they don't have transportation, what happens? They can't come to their appointments. Some of them have food insecurities. If they don't have food, they're, in, they're non-compliant with some of their diets. So there were a lot of factors that, were, that impact the well-being and the health of the patients that are coming to the hospital. And so we have made it a mission to tackle this. So when I mentioned earlier on that Norwegian American Hospital was the name for 125 years, and now it's Humble Park Health, we also have a tagline right under our name that says Advancing Health Equity. So we are going to address the health inequities that our patients are facing because we want to make sure that they are also entitled to live a healthy life. We, you know, they want it, we, we want to be there, we want to give it to them. So that's important for us and for, for the administration as a whole. So what has the committee's work revealed so far regarding both the social determinants as well as maybe some DE&I initiatives that Humboldt Park can begin to engage in? There's been a lot of relevations, I would say. <laughs> but I will start with data. Um, you know, we, we kept data and it wasn't giving us the information that we needed to be successful in executing on our SLDH goals it's all, and also our mission and values. And mm. over time, we also found that we weren't speaking the same language in the sense of each department were asking questions that were supposed to be the same, but they were being asked differently. And so our data reporting was kind of unbalanced. And how do you address social determinants of health if you're not getting the true data that you need? Mm-hmm. And for, for example, one of the biggest areas that we found was that 
we were asking patients their race, ethnicity, age, and language, right? And there was a high percentage of our patients that were coming back saying, I don't know, or I decline. And it got us mm-hmm. thinking, are patients not asking the question? Do they not know how to ask the question? Do the patients not trust us? What is our intent behind you asking me these questions, right? Mm -hmm, So we had mm -hmm. to take a moment and put ourselves in the shoe of the patient. Now, here's what's fascinating about the Health Equity Committee. I'm not an employee. Mm -hmm. I volunteered over 10 years in this organization. I am the only one there present in the Health Equity that is from the outside. So I come in with a different lens. I come in with the lens of a possible patient, but also a community member. Right. Right. We service members from the LGBT community, right? So we just started to start thinking, like, why are we not capturing this data? We came to the conclusion that diversity, equity, inclusion was one issue that we had and that maybe our our employees are not comfortable asking these questions. So how are we going to help them do that? We found out that as we started to collect the proper data, we started to see how many patients truly are or are lacking food. And so we have a food pantry. The, the patients that couldn't travel to the hospital, now they get transportation to the hospital. Housing mm. is a big issue. We have patients who are fearful that their house, their apartments that they're living were sold to a new landlord and they don't know if they're going to be able to live there tomorrow or not. So gathering all this information is such a great tool for us because now we have taken this we started implementing change. We purchased iPads so that the mm. patients can answer those questions privately and not be ashamed to say, I don't have food. Oh, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing that what, what we're doing here. Um, and then oh. on the DEI part of it, which is the part that I've actually taken on because I love doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, 70% currently of the employees that work at the hospital are from the community. So the diversity there is, is there, you know, uh, our leadership, not so much, but so we, we're, we've addressed the diversity. We work, we're working on the equity and we're working on the inclusion part. And one of the other areas that I'm tackling on to all of this is the sense of belonging. Do our patients feel like they belong here? Do our employees feel like they belong here? And, how are we communicating? Is it culturally appropriate? Are we sharing from the top down? Are we getting them to buy into our mission and our vision, right? So now I brought in a company that's gonna be working with us and starting in March, we are going to do a system-wide training, which is not easy when you have different shifts and you have so many employees. We are going to be training and doing workshops on unconscious bias. We are creating customized scripts that's going to help our employees ask the question in a manner that we'll be able to capture the data correctly that we can use to improve the lives of our patients. We are going to require our board of trustees, our leadership also to take this training on unconscious bias, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social determinants of health, And after 90 days, when this is completed, we're going to come back together with the company 
survey our organization, see what we're lacking, come back again and continue to give them the tools and resources that they need mm. so that we can continue to progress and be successful in addressing health equity within the entire organization. So it is a beautiful time to work in at Humboldt Park House because mm-hmm. our leaders are fierce. Our chief mm-hmm. medical officer is passionate about health equities and it's, it's going to improve the health of the community tremendously. Yeah, it really is. Those are like really, really significant undertakings. And it has got to be so gratifying for you to be part of an organization that is embracing it, you know, willing to kind of look at maybe where their deficiencies are, and more more importantly, attempt to remedy them and continue to remedy them, right? That's incredible. Yes. And let me just add one little caveat that I, that I love to mention because I'm so, so thrilled to be part of this little legacy. When we talk about addressing social determinants of, of health and giving our patients an opportunity to, to lead healthy lives, we are actually building a 40,000 square foot wellness center adjacent to the hospital. So our patients have access to a community where they can get physical therapy. They have access to a pool. They have access to a track, a community room where we're going to bring in dietitians and healthy eating workshops for them. They can bring their kids in a safe environment. It is an exciting moment when I say that Humboldt Park Health is creating change in that community. It really is. And I would imagine um, Humboldt Park is is a bit of a trailblazer, right? I mean, there, there are, I'm sure, other hospitals that are watching what you are doing, and they will get their cues from you and hopefully begin to um, emulate what you're doing over there. I hope so, too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Really amazing work, Elizabeth. Oh my gosh. Affinity Strategies is a full service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder engagement firm. They use digital first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategy Services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, please visit their website at www.affinity-strategies.com. All right, Elizabeth, I would love to kind of turn to talking a little bit about what kind of advice that you would give to healthcare providers and administrators regarding health equity. Mm-hmm. My advice to providers and administrators is that everyone has a fundamental right to be as healthy as possible. And as an organization, we have the responsibility of making sure that every patient that comes in through the door is receiving adequate care in order to get them there. And look at your demographics, your numbers, your, the need in the community. What is happening in your community right now that you are not addressing? And when you figure that out, create a committee like a health equity committee 
mm-hmm. that Humble Park did and bring in your leaders and someone from your community to work alongside of you to execute a strategy that is going to improve the lifestyle of your community, but also your pay, your employees. And I say employees because there are employees that may work for your organization that are facing the same social determinants of health as your patients. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget mm-hmm. them. I think that's really important, and we have to remember that. Yeah. It is really important. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's been your experience, but at least as an outsider um, to the healthcare um, system, I often wonder who is taking care of our healthcare providers, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's great that you, you know, try to help um, whether it's, you know, healthcare providers themselves or administrators kind of understand that, hey, we, in order to give the best care we can to our patients, we got to take care of our healthcare providers too. That's great. Correct. That's great. Yes. I, yeah. I always, I always say, don't treat our employees as employees. Let's treat them as people. Yeah. Because they are people too, right? They are human. Yeah. Yep. And we can't forget That's that. Right. That's right. That's right. Elizabeth, what do you do when maybe you're talking with uh, perhaps administrators? Because um, sometimes they can be a little bit, you know, removed, right, from the front lines of healthcare. What do you do when you encounter kind of pushback or, or maybe even denial about social determinants of 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 the healthcare system? Well, pushback. I mean, you have to you have to convince them. You have to continue to yeah. educate them. It's not nothing is a quick fix, right? We know yeah. uh, when we talk about DEI, it's not one workshop that's going to fix the problem. It's the journey. Mm-hmm. Social determinants of health is the same thing. It's a process and it's a journey. And we just can't assume by just doing one thing that it's going to solve the problem. And when we get an administrator that pushes back, we push back more. We push back mm. with data. Right, we put back with mm-hmm. the information. We share. What, what is your vision? What does your website say? What's your mission? Are you in line with that mission and vision of your organization? And why aren't you doing it? We have mm-hmm. to walk the walk, right? It's important that we walk yeah. the walk. We just can't do something just put a check box, a check mark by the check. It doesn't work. One of the things I admire about our CEO and president of the hospital. I hope Mr. Jose Sanchez is that he's a fierce leader. He listens, right? And mm. it may take him many, many years to get something done, but the end goal for him is to get it done because it's important to him. So our administrators who are who give a little bit of pushback, we are not going to improve the world around us if we're not addressing every single individual that exists and who comes in through our doors. Mm. And as administrators, we have a responsibility, and we owe that to our community, right, that we address the social determinants of health. We also know the last two years have been very difficult for many people. Like you mentioned, healthcare professionals. We're combating still isolation. We're doing battling depression. We're anxiety and so many other factors, right, that can't be ignored. And together, we have to heal the world. We can't. It's just not one person, and it's not only going to take one day. It's going to take a long time to do it, but they're all baby steps. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. That's such a great attitude. I mean, Elizabeth, you sound like the kind of person that um, is really most often optimistic about making progress. Is is that an accurate statement? Absolutely. Very optimistic. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because you're doing really hard work. And um, I could imagine, you know, uh, a a few bumps in the road or maybe big bumps in the road could feel very defeatist. Um, But it sounds like you just, you understand that this is a marathon and not a sprint and you just keep soldiering on. Absolutely. You know, I I was there, right? I grew up in that environment. So there's no, there's no reason why we can't do this. If I thrived, I know that with my optimism, I can Mm -hmm. let others see what we can do together. That's amazing. And you are definitely thriving. There's no question about that. Um, You know, I understand that you are the first Latina president of the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Women Business Owners. If you would, could you share with us how you've been influencing the strategies of the Chicago chapter? Absolutely. I joined NABL, which is the abbreviation for the National Association of Women's Business Owners, back in 2012. And when I went to my first event, I there was a sense of not belonging, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I left and debated coming back. And eventually I went back and, and joined the board in 2015. And then in 2020, I became the first Latina president in its 43 history for the Chicago chapter here. And my, my welcoming speech to everyone was stronger together. And that year, my focus was increasing diversity within the chapter because I didn't see it when I became a member. Mm-hmm. And what I realized over time was that my strategy around diversity was it was okay but the biggest strategy should have been, we want this a place of belonging for every, every woman business owner, regardless of your color. We wanted to create a community where everyone felt welcomed, a community where we thrived together, where we became vulnerable, where we shared our most deepest secrets. And when I shifted that strategy slightly to making it about all women, our chapter grew. Mm. We are the largest chapter in the United States right now. We are, (sighs) yeah, we have the most members. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing, crazy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a bit exciting. And what we do is that when we see another woman business owner, we connect them in a very authentic manner. And the Mm. feedback that we're getting is that Novel Chicago has never felt like this in the many years that they've been members. And so I want to say that collectively with my board, we have created a strategy that is working for us. It is not taking a lot of work to do it. It's all around being strong together, having the person's back, being authentic mm-hmm. and real, right? and creating a safe space for our members to come and talk about the things that they are facing on a daily basis. And we did a really great job of that when COVID hit. I don't know how our executive director did it, but we pivoted so quickly to the virtual space that Mm -hmm. that allowed our members to show up 
even in their weakest moments and find the support that they needed to get them through, you know, the loss of their business or the close to their business. And and I'm going to say this for myself too. My business within 24 hours, 90% loss of business. And if it wasn't for this community, I don't know that I would still have my business today. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, really, congratulations to you and your board and your executive director for being able to, you know, not even, not only survive the last two and a half years, but to really um, expand the way you did during such incredibly turbulent times. That's incredible. Gr- great, great work. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. I, I, you know, Elizabeth, you're up to so much stuff. I don't know when you sleep at night. You've got so many <laughs> things going on. That's incredible. You've got a lot of energy, lady. <laughs> I do sleep. If I don't get my eight hours, I do not function. So I am in bed at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> well, you know what? You do what you got to do to take care of yourself because you are really, really giving a lot uh, on a daily basis. Um, and thank you for that. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I have one last substantive question for you, Elizabeth. And, you know, you have been an entrepreneur for, for a really long time now. I'm wondering what are the two or three most important lessons you have learned along the way? Very simple. The first one is ask for help. I think as entrepreneurs, we go into business. And I think this Mm -hmm. also applies to organizations in general. When you get hired somewhere, you want to do a lot of things on your own. But you're not skilled in everything. When you open your business, I was good at X, Y, Z, but I lacked a lot of skills in some of the other areas. So asking for help will alleviate some of the stress that we bring on Mm -hmm. and also asking questions when I don't know. Don't be embarrassed to say, I don't know, because there are things that we have to learn along the way. And that's my first advice. Uh, I wish I would have known that back then when I was Mm -hmm. taking on all these responsibilities and wearing different hats and then making the mistakes that I made. I think it would have saved me a lot of time and, and resources to pattern. I had asked questions. Sure. The second piece of advice I would give is, or the lessons that I learned actually is how not to lead. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we have to lead by examples and leaders need to influence their teams. Mm-hmm. And we, cannot and should not lead in a manner that perceives you as controlling or micromanaging. We should be servant leaders. Mm-hmm. We need to show the way for our next generations to be able to lead themselves. And I used to be just very hands-on controlling and I was always complaining, like, why am I doing everybody's work? Well, of course, I wasn't allowing them to do it. <laughs> so that would be- yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Piece of advice. And lastly, oh. I would just add on relationships. I think relationships are, are very important. I can't say that I grew my business out of marketing, investing dollars in marketing or cold calling. I grew my business out of relationships mm-hmm. and referrals. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to show up. You, very yep. you, very authentic, very honest, and with integrity. And people will feel it, and they will see it, and they will also trust you to the point that they will refer to you. And mm-hmm. so I give these three examples as an entrepreneur, but they also, I think, carry over into any organization where anybody works. And I feel that those contributions that I have brought to Humble Park Health has been a result of my experience as an entrepreneur and what not to do. Oh, that's great, great advice. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. And you are exactly right. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or if you are a member of a um, you know public sector organization, right? They're, they apply no matter where you work. That's fantastic. That's right. Thank That's you right. for that. Thank you for that. Sure. All right, Elizabeth, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes. All right. I am ready. Perfect. Okay, here here we go. Describe yourself in three words. Happy, smiley, and fierce. Indeed, just the short time that we've been talking, I wholeheartedly concur. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, favorite day of the week? Wednesday. Why Wednesday? My shows are on on Wednesday night. That's the time I get to sit down and watch them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Great answer. Great answer. Okay, last song you downloaded. Mark Anthony, he's a Latin singer. Uh-huh. And I, um, oh my God, I'm blanking out of the name. I just, it's in Spanish, but it's Mark Anthony. He's my favorite Latin singer that I listen to every day. I apologize for that one. (laughs) That's okay. That's great. That's great. Okay. This, I'm, you know, I'm very curious about the answer um, that you're going to give to this question. What would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or talk to animals? Because I'm in the language industry, I am going to Mm -hmm. go with talk to animals. Yes. I thought uh-huh. maybe you would. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Favorite junk food? Uh, chicken wings. Really bad. Chicken wings. Very good. Mm-hmm. Ask permission or forgiveness? Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I kind of predicted that one. Did you? Okay. Yep, I did. I did. Um, what is the most boring thing ever? <laughs> Being around boring people. <laughs> Sorry. You got that right. It sure is. Um, how many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? None. Oh, well, good for you. Good for you. What is the fastest you've ever driven a car? 110 miles. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Good. I love good cars work. and motorcycles. Oh, good work. Good work. All right. What is for dinner tonight? All right. I am Latina. So uh-huh. I had to figure out how to best explain this. So what's okay. for dinner tonight is Bianda 
y bacalao, and it mm-hmm. translates into boiled root vegetables with codfish. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Well, that sounds delicious. Do you have that uh, regularly on Friday evenings? We do not because it's heavy on the starchy on the starchy starchy side, so we're really careful. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I would say probably once every three months, maybe. Nice. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a special meal, right? It is. It is absolutely. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, enjoy that tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, dawn or dusk? Dawn. Mm. I go to bed yes. at nine. I'm up at dawn. <laughs> yes. In fact, you. Some parts of the year you may be sleeping before dusk. Right. That is true. <laughs> is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> no, let them eat it. I think it's okay. <laughs> That's right. Let them let them indulge, right? Yes. Oh, who do you admire? My two sons. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What are you currently reading? Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Ah, yes. It's a great one, isn't it? It is. So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. All right. What is your dream job other than the one, of course, or should I say ones, plural, that you <laughs> currently have? The plan was to become a doctor. Ah. That was my plan. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, you're still working in healthcare, so you still have that going, right? Yeah. I found a way to stay connected, even if I'm not a physician. That's right. That's right. And you are giving great service, advice, tools, et cetera, to physicians, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. You know, Elizabeth, this has been um, just such a great, rich conversation. Before I uh, let you go here, wondering if you maybe have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners today. I just want to share the work that each and everyone is doing is really important. It's important Mm -hmm. in someone's life every single day. Find it in your heart, in your strategy, in your mission to continue If you're doing it and if you're not, implement a strong health equity initiative within your organization and let's help our communities thrive and lead a healthier life. It's only fair to them that they get the opportunity to live like many of us who are fortunate Mm -hmm. to be living a certain way. And I assure you that you and your organization will grow leaps and bounds because your people are going to go out there and they're going to share the great work that you're doing for them to their neighbors and families and the world at large. Yeah, that's great. Because when everybody is given the same or similar type of health care, we all thrive, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Great advice. It has been such a pleasure today, Elizabeth. Thank you so, so much. And uh, I will be watching to see all of the great things you will be doing in the future. 
So thanks a million for your time today. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You are welcome. What a wonderful conversation with Elizabeth. As is always the case with our guests, we covered a lot of ground and she provided great insights and really solid advice about the importance of paying attention to and taking action regarding the impacts that social determinants of health have on underserved populations. How the Health Equity Committee at Humboldt Park Health has changed the manner in which they collect data from their patients, which has yielded more effective ways of addressing the community needs. Influencing hospital administrators to pull back the covers and figure out what is going on in the community and ways in which she, the executive director and the board of the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Women Business Owners, have become the largest chapter in the United States. It is clear that Elizabeth is living her passion every day. Her optimism is palpable. And above all, she does a brilliant job of stating very simply that we are on a journey together to address social determinants of health so that everybody has a fair shot at a healthy lifestyle. Take a peek at our show notes for additional information about Metaphrasis, Humble Park Health, and the National Association of Women Business Owners. Today's episode was written and researched by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. We just started our YouTube channel. You can find all of our past and future episodes on the Affinity Strategies channel on YouTube. You can expect a new episode to drop sometime during the third week of each month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you again in just a few weeks. Thanks for listening. This is Claire Vincent.